Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I'm your host, Lonnie Jones, and the adventure part is basically just our experiences. And some of those experiences are as mundane as growing up, being married, being a young married couple with a kid, or being a middle-aged couple with grandkids. Some of the experiences will be my adventures as an outdoorsman, a rock climber, a fisherman, a hunter, or my experiences as a police chaplain who's been assigned to a SWAT team for over 30 years. Some of that adventure may even boil down to the idea that there's a belief that I'm a chaotic Jedi. (laughs) Either way, we'll take the experiences or the adventures and we'll talk about the facts the facts will lead to concepts, and the concepts lead to application. Basically, it will be anecdotal wisdom. One cautionary word about the facts is we will tell you the facts just as they happened, but sometimes we'll tell you the facts the way we remember them happening, and sometimes we'll tell you the facts the way we've heard other people tell us the way they remember them happening. In any occasion, it's not an attempt to deceive. There'll be a little bit of embellishment, and it's an all good, clean fun and for learning purposes only. Thank you for keeping up with Jones. What's more effective, a well-trained person with no equipment or a well-equipped person with no training? Well, in certain cases, I'd have to say that a person with proper training can get by with minimal equipment. But ideally, you'd like to have both. Lads to Leaders. Now, Lads to Leaders is known as a program, but I'd like to describe it as a process. You see, the name is the process. You take lads, young people, and you mature them into leaders. The process of Lads to becoming leaders is about both equipment and training. Young people are equipped with values, they are equipped with philosophy, and they are equipped with special skills. Lads to Leaders is not just learning to do, but in reality it's doing to learn. And as people participate in the Lads to Leaders program, they become well-trained and well-equipped to be the future leaders. And church leaders or community leaders, it, it produces leadership qualities in young people. The Lads to Leaders program is the legacy of Dr. Jack Zorn, who invented the program. If you're interested in participating in Lads to Leaders, ladstoleaders.com. If you're interested in learning more about it, you can contact Rhonda Fernandez, 321 321- Two zero two seven six zero zero three two one two oh two seven six zero zero lads to leaders.com producing leaders in the church in the future in the young people of today. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure is sponsored by SJL General Contractors. SJL General Contractors is licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee. This family-owned business provides mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you're in need of any of these services, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. 
If you'd like to be employed by this family-owned company, three W's and a dot, sjnl.com, www.sjnl.com. Over 35 years ago, I lowered a guy into a pit. Now, this is a little hole that you can find just below the overlook at Montesano State Park. The guy lowering into the pit had never been rock climbing and had never been rappelling. The first Swiss seat or ranger harness that he'd ever seen was the one he put on that day. Now, on, on that same day that I lowered him into the pit and created a two-to-one advantage so he could pull himself out, uh, we rappelled on O'Shaughnessy Point. Uh, that particular day, he even tried to climb O'Shaughnessy Point and uh, decided to start climbing before I could get in position to belay him. And he took a little trip to the end of the rope, but he did not hit the ground. I caught him. Uh, we've climbed at Sunset Rock. We've climbed together in Chattanooga some. Uh, we've taken the youth group climbing. We even rigged up some climbing gear to help roof his garage or help build the garage he was building. Uh, he's been with me on a rope and trusted me that I knew what I was doing. Years later, my phone rang. I didn't have a cell phone. This is a phone tied to the wall at my house. My phone rang, and he said, when do you want to go flying? Well, if I'd wanted to go flying, I'd have taken lessons, was my thought. You see, my friend, who had trusted me all those times with my ropes, was now a pilot. And he was wanting me to ride in his plane. I was there the day that he soloed for the first time and met him on the ground with a celebratory uh, Dr. Pepper, which was uh, his drink of choice at the time. And I watched him take off and, and land at Moontown Airport. Now, your response to this was, well, he trusts you. You should trust him. I, I agree with you, but he wasn't there when I was learning to climb. When I moved to Huntsville and then subsequently he moved to Huntsville, I'd been a climber since I was 14 years old. I'd watched this guy learn to fly. I had seen him with uh, the idiot brothers in Chattanooga who invented uh, paragliding with a four-wheeler. I'd seen him ride the test model of their guy line, zip line, hang glider apparatus and i had seen him fly their ultralight and i'd seen him try to fly the ultralight that he had inherited i think it's wings in the sky wheels on the ground not wings on the ground <laughs> wheels in the sky i remember leaving his house one day in in the attempt to fly this ultralight and not very high off the ground he was learning the things that he needed to know about aerodynamics and i remember putting on the old long barreled 357 i had two ruger gp100s one was the the five and a half inch barrel and one was the six inch barrel and i remember sliding that into my marshall dylan holster and his wife giving me a weird look and i'd look at her and go don't worry he won't suffer long <laughs> I had been with him as he was learning how to do these things on his own. And eventually, he started taking, you know, actual flying lessons and, and is an accomplished pilot. He's one of the very few people who are allowed to land at a secure airport, which is just inside, I think they call it the ring in Washington, D.C. 
uh, you fly into that thing and you get contacted, I think, by NORAD. And they basically give you uh, some instructions. And if you follow them, you get to land there. If you don't, they shoot you out of the sky. Uh, He's one of the very few people that can fly a private plane into there. That's an accomplishment. Uh, he flown back and forth to Texas to see his dad. He's a good pilot, and 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 I'm not afraid of flying. My my uncle, uh, Raylette, built experimental aircraft. I've flown in planes since before I was ten years old. Uncle Ray built the Champ. He built the Very Ease. Uh, we the, my favorite plane to fly in was a thing that Uncle Ray called the Breezy. This is essentially a rail buggy with a propeller and wings. Yeah, I mean, it's just an exposed steel skeleton or metal skeleton, and, and you sit in this back seat, and you wear a seatbelt. Not a not a harness, not a six-point harness, not even a shoulder strap, just a lap belt. And I've flown all over Alabama in that thing with Uncle Ray. I, I'm, I'm not afraid of flying. I, when I lived in Alexander City, the private pilot for Russell Industries, the, the people who make the Russell Athletic Clothing, the, the guy they employed is their personal pilot lived there and I would fly back and forth to Atlanta with him to pick up uh, executives from from Russell. I I got a really cool trip in a Cirrus SG2, a little white plane with the Lamborghini style doors. Uh, A a dear friend of mine helped me make two different speaking appointments, one in Velvet Ridge, Arkansas, and one in Vicksburg, Mississippi on the same weekend. And somebody had overbooked my schedule and or actually, I had booked the schedule and somebody changed it, and they didn't tell me they changed the dates of the youth rally, and and I flew back and forth between these speaking engagements. I felt kind of like a rock star. Uh, I went to visit Uncle Ray one year, and uh, he had a Cherokee, and uh, I actually got to to take off. I could fly in a plane. I can take a plane from the ground to the air. You see, flying doesn't really bother me flown in helicopters. Landing. Landing is interesting. You see, I saw the first landing my friend ever did solo in in, in his plane, and I'm not saying it was a bad landing. A, A good landing you walk away from, a great landing you can reuse the plane. But anybody can get a plane from the ground to the air. I think it just has a matter to do with speed and tilt of the ailerons or the flaps or whatever, and you'll go up, and you will come down. Now, as you're coming down, the ground starts to rush up in front of you. Uncle Ray used to have this little wooden plaque, a little thing above the refrigerator at the house they lived in in Lineville, Alabama, and it said, Watch thine altitude, lest the ground rise up and smite thee. So, yeah, I'm really not scared of flying, but landing, landing with a brand new pilot, yeah, that might have made me nervous. And and and, and really, you know, you, you start coming into the ground and, and you get a little lean here or a little tilt there or a little wiggle there and whack, your street pizza. But my friend, who I had trusted, has not called and asked me to trust him. Now, I'm not saying that I don't trust him, okay? I, I want you to understand that. But m- my friend has has done some things that I would consider, if not reckless, but cavalier. The, his first attempt to climb O'Shaughnessy Point was, was simply, how hard can this be? 
And so I tied him into the rope and I said, I'm going to walk up to the top. I'm going to have to hook myself to a couple of anchors and then you'll climb to me and I'll pull in your slack. Well, but way before I got to the top of the rock, he yells, hey, hey, where are you? And I scrambled further and got to my belay station and came to find out that he'd gotten 30 or 40 feet off the ground and then had decided, hey, I can't go any further and I can't go back down. And I just barely got in enough rope that it was safe for him to try to climb further. And his next move, had he not been attached to my safety line, would have been his last move. We we used to explore the woods together on his three-wheeler. And yes, you heard me right, three-wheeler. And you notice they don't make those animals anymore. So we were riding around on this three-wheeler, and he still got the thing and still loves to ride it in the snow. And, and we were going up this humongously steep hill in Tennessee. Now, you got to remember, the winter prior to our little adventure, I had sledded off that hill multiple times. And in one fateful trip down the hill, we had hit a large bump. And I saw the sky, I saw the ground, and I saw the sky. And I landed in my knees, touched the ground beside my head. My knees aren't designed to do that. I've got a short torso, and I've got short knees. And I broke a few ribs. And so we're on this three-wheeler, and we're headed up the hill. And and I said, hey, you got to let me off. I'll walk up this hill. And uh, he was not exactly cooperating, and I began to put pressure on his ribs, and he finally slowed down, and, and I, we began to debate about riding the hill or walking the hill. I said, I'm not going to ride the back of this three-wheeler. These things are prone to flip, and I've seen him drive. And like I say, he's not dangerous. He just may be a little more—he just may be braver than I am. But he began to insult me. He began to put pressure on me. He began to put leverage on me. He began to disparage my manliness. And I said, look, you got to remember, I'm a youth minister. I deal with kids all the time about peer pressure. There's nothing you can do to shame me into doing something that I believe is probably dangerous. He said, you mean I can't insult you enough? I can't make you mad enough that that you get on this and prove to me that you're not afraid? I said, if you make me mad, I'll just put you to sleep. But no, you can't say enough to me to make me get on this thing. So we've had some differences over the years about what was safe and what was prudent. I can remember after rappelling and climbing and for the very first time, in fact, the, the little climbing incident notwithstanding, he looked at me and said, that's it? I said, what do you mean, is that it? He said, well, I thought it would be more exciting. I thought there'd be more adrenaline. I said, well, no, you know, rappelling is not really about adrenaline. And if, if you get a lot of adrenaline while you're rappelling, you're probably not doing it right. And he said, but, 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 but that's it? I said, well, let me ask you this. Would you let your seven-year-old daughter come up here and, and, and do this with me? He goes, absolutely. I said, then my job is done here, Tonto. <laughs> As a guy who guided people in climbing and rappelling and a guy who had later owned some ropes courses, I didn't need to have the reputation as a daredevil. I, I needed to have the reputation of somebody who would get safe, uh, get home safely. My friend Jay Manasco, who was a, a guide in Denali, always had the saying, nobody writes newspaper articles about the 15 people you bring back. It's the person you leave out there that gets you in the newspaper. So here I am confronted with the idea, do I believe my friend can fly? Absolutely. Do I believe my friend can land safely? 
Well, he's done it before, and he's trusted me, so I'll trust him. Now, I don't know if he'll be insulted to know that I wasn't really afraid, just a little worried. I wasn't scared, just worried. But then again, our friendship has some implied, some implicit and some explicit trust in it. And he wouldn't ask me to go up if he didn't think he could bring me back down safely. I wonder, is God insulted by our lack of trust in him? And when I talk about trust, I, I, I really like to modify that, that faith is not believing in God, but faith is believing God. So that if God asks you to go, He can bring you back or He can keep you safe while you're there. You see, in, in the story of Peter walking on the water, he gets out of the boat and he starts toward Jesus and he notices the waves and the wind and and, and he panics and, and he begins to sink and he cries out, Save me! And in that passage in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus gets him out of the water and calls him little faith. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That always bothered me a little bit. I just, I don't know. When you think about how many people in the history of the world have ever walked on water, Jesus and, and Peter. Peter has done something, and I don't care if he did it for 50 seconds or 50 minutes. I don't care if he did it for five steps or 50 yards. He's done something that 99.9999999% of the world's population has never done. With the exception of Jesus, he's the only other person to ever do it. And so why would you call a man who's the only other person in history to walk on water, why would you call him little faith because you couldn't walk on water your first time as well as you could because you're divine? And, and then it dawned on me that I don't really think he called him little faith because he sank. I, th I think he called him little faith because he yelled, save me, when he started to sink. And see, when he started to sink, the idea saved me was, I can't believe you'd get me out here and not get me back to the boat. And that's what created the idea of little faith. If I've got the power... And, and, and you'll put you'll invest your faith in me to get out of the boat in a storm and that my power flowing in you and through you allows you to walk on water. Do you doubt me that if you started to sink, I wouldn't save you? I wouldn't get you back to the boat? I think that's what little faith refers to. I don't think it's about the fact that Peter wasn't as good a water walker as Jesus was. I think that Peter didn't realize the implication of, if you've got the power to get me out here, you've got the power to get me back. And maybe it's a stretch to take the term alpha and omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. And, and the alpha and the omega means the beginning and the end, always has been, always will be, that God is the first and God is the last. But maybe we'll just stretch it and say that if you, if you believe God, if you trust God, not, not, faith is not believing in God, 
but it's believing God. Now, how do you know if you believe God? Then you do what He asks you to do. You go where He asks you to go. You live like He asks you to live. And if you start down that path, the fact that He's the Alpha and the Omega could probably be translated as He'll be with you from takeoff to landing. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure, is sponsored by us. What? We sponsor ourselves? Is that even legal? Check us out on Amazon. You can have access to the titles of Pedagogue, the youth ministry book by Lonnie Jones, Cognitive Spiritual Development, a Christ-centered approach to spiritual self-esteem, Grappling With Life, Controlling Your Inside Space, a small essay using the principles of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to talk about psychological and emotional self-defense. If I Were a Mouse, a children's book written and illustrated by Lonnie Jones. And then The Selfish Real, a very short story about a decision. Also, you can check out our YouTube channel to see archived lessons and presentations from across the country, some videos with uh, rope tricks and knots, Don't forget to visit the uh, Facebook page, 550 Guys, to learn about the little rope men that we make and that we invented and that we make. And then be sure to click like, subscribe, and share. This is Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. Mm -hmm.